Welcome to the Net Zero Podcast, where we talk all things sustainability with industry experts, Net Zero clients, partners, and colleagues. In this podcast, we hope to share information, knowledge, and experiences of the journey to Net Zero. Hi, I'm Ailea Buffier from Evaluate Sustainability. Um, and we're a climate tech company with the mission of transforming organisations for a zero carbon future. We do this by automating the carbon footprinting process, um, by connecting to their financial accounting sof- software, so businesses' uh, footprints, and, um, and all available other data sources, and then use advanced analytics to match uh, reduction recommendations with the needs of that business that is best suited to, to help them move quickly on their path to net zero. And um, we're located in Australia. I'm in the capital of ACT, Canberra. And, um, we're proudly the first uh, 100% renewable region in the Southern Hemisphere. So our government locally is doing a lot. Great to hear from Australia in this series of podcasts, because I'm sure there must be different challenges that you're facing to those, for example, that we're facing in the Northern Hemisphere and particularly Western Europe. Can I just ask you um, probably the simple question to start with, which is, what are prompting Australian companies to start making their sustainability plans? I think business is, is sick of waiting for government. So we, we did have a new government appointed this year and they've um, you know made some more ambitious targets and we'll, we'll be sort of accelerating the process. But everyone was um, yeah, getting a bit frustrated and thought that the business case is really settled for action on climate change and um and that they should get on with it so taking responsibility for their emissions and um the market was sort of demanding transparency so a lot of big companies and and government even in their procurement processes are starting to ask for carbon data and and expecting that of their um suppliers and customers and um and the other thing is uh we're going through a bit of a labor shortage in Australia so it's very hard to get staff. Our unemployment rates are hovering around 3%. Businesses, top businesses are really struggling to retain and attract talent. And uh, and so they sort of see, you know, a core ESG responsibility as as part of uh, something they need to do to, to maintain the engagement of the, the younger generations. Well, this seems to be mirrored by our own experience, which is roughly similar, that it's procurement has, has livened companies up because... It's very difficult now to, you know, go to investors, banks, etc., without having some formulation of a sustainability plan, whatever that is, whether that's part of an ESG or, or whatever. And it's so that's really interesting to find things are, are similar. And equally, the the labour market, who'd have thought, is something where millennials in particular seem to be. You know, our experience has been millennials are favouring sustainable companies versus maybe um, others but what i mean if we're talking about the positive side let's talk about the other side what are the obstacles to people actually starting this journey particularly from the company side i think not knowing where to start uh, that's what we've heard from a lot of our clients they've sort of gone searching asking around their accountant or other advisors and um and they're like oh no that's too hard and don't worry about it and yeah real sort of lack of knowledge on how easy and simple it can be and um, and then often they they do go to sort of consultants um, that have been around a long time and um, and they have a six-month wait and then they they're completely sort of unaffordable for a smaller business so 
I think um, finding those places to go and knowing what's credible and reliable as well. And I think um, the new International Sustainability Standards Board standard that will be released next year will help with that as well because it will be you know something that everyone can point to to say here's the one standard instead of the the medley that we had of before of all the different standards to know which one you can trust one of the things that we're finding in our discussions is that there is still a perception within um, some businesses that this is a one-off exercise you know that somehow you can explain scope one, scope two, scope three. And because it seems that scope one and scope two are fairly easy to assemble your data and kind of make declarations and commitments and pledges, that somehow three is going to be equally as easy and it's going to, it'll be all over by Christmas and that's us done and dusted. That's the, that's the environmental part of ESG done. Is that the kind of perception that you've found yet? Not not at all. I, back when I first, um, for another business that I own, um, got a first carbon footprint done in 2005. And that was sort of definitely the sort of method then was, you know, once every three years, you might check in again and, and you know, assess where you're at. Um, but now, you know, we're moving to live carbon tracking that yearly would be kind of the absolute minimum. And, um, and even with yearly, if you set reduction targets and then you're not tracking them as you go, then you get to the end of the year and you go, oh, we haven't haven't met that one this year. And then and then there's no sort of recourse. So I think um, live tracking is really important. In addition to live tracking, what, what other lessons are you learning as, as a company yourself in, in this evolving business area? I think trying to get consistency in the market and um, and have that balance between what's right for different levels of company, like different sizes of company and and matching their requirements and what's material for them with the accuracy and and the reasons behind reporting. So we're really trying to uh, evaluate sort of balance that accuracy and ease of use um, to make it accessible for all sizes of company because for you know the the large um, you know top five hundred companies in Australia who who have mandatory reporting requirements, they might not be able to compromise on accuracy at all. They need exact um, exact figures for everything, at least for scope one and two. Um, but then you know smaller companies, it's, is is it really worth going and figuring out how many liters of petrol that you've consumed, or is it better to just apply an average price? Um, for petrol at that time and um, and convert it that way. So when you don't have the compliance, I think it's really important to look at what the purpose of it is and and tracking the the use. Yes, you might not you might sacrifice a little bit of accuracy, but the the ease of being able to um, report on it is sort of far outweighs that. And then if something's material for an organization, that's when we would sort of go, okay, well, this is something you need to dive in further. But I think it's it's constantly juggling that and balancing it between what's right for different sizes of companies. Looking forward, what do you think the future looks like for companies? As you say, they're moving much more towards doing a lot more almost real-time tracking. What's the future as you see it? Well, that's exciting. Um, (laughs) I see the future as, as everyone has carbon accounting as standard as financial accounting. 
and everyone knows what their emissions intensity is for their goods or service. So it could be, you know, hours of professional services and you can see if your, um, you know, your expensive lawyer is twice as, has twice the carbon footprint as your more frugal, sensible accountant and, um, and, you know, the, the tin of tomatoes on the shelf compared to the one next to it or compared to, you know, buying something fresh and from locally grown produce. So I think being able to factor that into decision making and have carbon incorporated in decision making is, is such a valuable tool. And, um, and I think we'll, we'll see that, you know, across the broad board. I think, you know, 10% of companies also measure their carbon at the moment. And I think in the next couple of years, that's going to be, um, reversed and, and it'll be, you know, 10% trying to catch up. And how do you see it that happening? Because obviously, from our background, as a, we, we share the fellow um, journey of of being in software, do you think the future is going to be much more um, software and AI integration into these kind of solutions? Yeah, definitely. I think um, there's there's always a need for consultants and and people to support the process, but definitely the the age of IoT and cloud computing, we have all that rich data available and, and there'll be just more and more ways that we can utilize that data to drive action. So we're um we're a, a part of a network called Climate Salad in Australia. And um and last year they had a hundred uh companies, um climate tech companies in Australia and um and now they have two hundred and fifty. So the market is booming in terms of climate tech and it's it's you know really exciting exciting and we sort of partner with quite a few of those companies to provide a richer service to clients and and be able to you know use more data to to drive action so it's been great talking to you and really interesting to get parts of the australian market and you particularly your state's mindset in all of this is there anything unique that you think you could share with us that illustrates where you're demonstrating thought leadership yeah, I think um, ACT's put a lot of resources into thought leadership, and they have a, a council that of of experts in the region. And um, one thing they've done is incorporate um, a social cost on carbon, and um, and that sort of means they're factoring in carbon into all their decision making. And it doesn't necessarily mean they go and offset those, although they are 100% renewable, as I mentioned before. Um, but they factor in a cost, and they've they've nominated you know $50 a ton. And then they put that into a fund that then funds all the reduction opportunities that they can find. So, so they start factoring that in. And I think that that's a really valuable approach for a company that doesn't necessarily want to achieve carbon neutrality and pay for carbon offsets. Um, to be able to start factoring in carbon into all decision makings is, is really valuable. Thanks again for your time. It's really great to hear the stuff that you're doing and also the kind of challenges that you're facing. And we're all, I think, as particularly providers to this global market, but from our individual places. Well, we have core values of, of trying to face up to our market. I'm guess, guessing you do as well. Yeah, we, we try and focus on simplicity, transparency, and responsibility. So that's their you know, core to us, but also core to what we try and deliver to our clients. And I think you know, it's important for the world for us all to, to try and live those values. As the man says, we're holding this together. Yeah. So thanks again for your time, Leah. That was thanks, really good Chris. to talk to you. And um, well, I'm sure we'll catch up in the future. Great to talk to you too. And thank you.
Thanks again for listening. And if you require further details, please don't hesitate to contact us or visit the website where you find additional information, including more podcasts like this.